This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. For our subscribers over at patreon.com slash districtsentinel, the garbage can nominations are now open. You can submit your garbage can nominees. You have to be a patron, $5 a month. You get access to all the bonus content, plus your own haiku, plus access to the garbage can proceedings. Of course, on Friday, we throw the garbage candidate that receives the most votes into our garbage can in a show that's just for our subscribers. So sign up so you can listen and partake in the festivities. There was a hot take by me, if I may say so myself, Replying, it, it was a good idea. Basically, making the garbage can all about Mayor Pete this week. And basically, the segment would revolve around which reason to throw him in the garbage can. And we would. So name instead six of, of them. six separate garbage candidates, we would have one garbage candidate and pick one out of these six reasons to throw Mayo Pete into the garbage can. It's a. Uh, It's not as dramatic because obviously it would end only with uh, Mayor Pete in the can. But I feel like this is really what the people are crying out for right now. I know I myself am just in despair by uh, Mayor Pete just still hanging around, still being a thing. Not just hanging around. Seems to be surging in Iowa. I'm not sure if he's surging right. elsewhere, but he's surging in Iowa. Well, New Hampshire too, evidently, maybe uh, according to. A poll well, we got I a debate today. tonight, and they need to they need to lay into him. This needs to be Mayor Pete's Waterloo because it's it's embarrassing. It's honestly embarrassing. If 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 it were Joe Biden still in the lead. That would be less embarrassing. I mean, that would still be embarrassing. He still is mostly in the lead, I think. But <laughs> uh, the na- the national polls don't really mean anything. No, I guess none of the polls really mean anything. Yeah. But holy fuck, <laughs> we need to do something about this Mayor Pete situation because it is grim. In other Dem primary news, Medicare for All activist Addie Barkin has endorsed Elizabeth Warren. And I know this has angered a lot of people online. Um, Addie, of course, has been a credible Medicare for All activist for a very long time. He has done uh, more for the movement than most of the people online who are shitting on him. And it is true that some of the arguments he put forward in his uh, endorsement of Warren should be scrutinized and can be disagreed with. But at the end of the day, Addie is a liberal. Like, this has never been a secret about Addy. He was a liberal activist before he got sick. And just because you support Medicare for All doesn't mean you're a socialist. A lot of liberals now support Medicare for All. In fact, as these policies that the left has been pushing for decades become more popular right now, guess what? More and more liberals are going to support these plans. And... Certainly, there is a little bit of room to look at suspicion towards certain politicians that might try to, uh, I guess, exploit the political benefit of endorsing these plans without actually being willing to take on the entrenched interests that are necessary to implement these plans. 
but we have to accept that as our policies get more popular, liberals are going to jump on board. Yeah, and this is a historical pattern, too. I mean, this last happened uh, all over the world, like, I don't know, uh, 90 years ago, even before that, when uh, the first one to do this was Otto von Bismarck, who didn't he implement some sort of uh, social insurance program to try to diminish the allure of communists and socialists in uh, in Germany or whatever it was called at the time, Prussian states, uh, Federation of Prussian states. We see this time and time again in uh, in, in industrialized countries. Uh, this is why people wince when people claim that Norway and Scandinavian countries are socialists. They're not. Just mm-hmm. their conservatives have co-opted uh, these social programs. It is what it is, but it's it's not socialist. So yeah. this is something that I don't know. It it, it it's uh, it's it's something that's happened before. So yeah, and so gird yourselves. Uh, and Sanders himself responded uh, to the endorsement of Warren courteously, uh, thanking Addy for his work and you know looking forward to continue working with him. To implement Medicare for all, which distinguished himself from some of uh, his supporters who think that Addy is now a fraud or was never a Medicare for all advocate, just an Elizabeth Warren campaign sleeper agent. <laughs> Let's move on to the important stuff of the day. It's Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. Here's the news. Lowering the cynicism level of the show by three notches to cover the impeachment hearings today, the most damning day yet for the administration, featured testimony from Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland, a strong Trump ally, a guy who gave Trump's inauguration committee a million dollars, which is likely how he got his gig as ambassador, and today a guy who found himself as the Democrats' key witness in the impeachment hearings. You just, you love to see when oligarchs just blow a million dollars. I mean, how much has this guy, Sondland, now spent in legal fees because he decided to give Trump a million dollars, which led to him being an ambassador and getting caught up in an illegal, probably impeachable scheme? Probably a lot of money. Fucking love to see it here. Another reason that If you have too much money, you end up getting yourself into trouble. This is some dipshit hotel magnate who's like, you know what? I'm going to cut Trump a check for a million dollars here. Maybe I'll become an ambassador or something. What could go wrong? (laughs) If if I may, there there is a slight hole in your theory here, which is that I'm afraid that Sondland is probably going to make a uh, king's fortune from whatever book deal book. he gets uh, from this. And yeah, perhaps. I, I, I haven't been browsing Twitter, but I'm sure that every third dipshit has been posting who they think is going to play him in the movie. Well, he has been welcomed with open arms into the resistance, and we know how lucrative that can be. Anyway, was there a quid pro quo? Was the Trump administration using foreign policy tools like aid to Ukraine as a bribe to get Ukraine to investigate Trump's political rivals? Sondland was pretty clear on that, saying yes, there was in his opening statement. 
and again when pressed by committee chairman Adam Schiff. Now, in your opening statement, you confirm that there was a quid pro quo between the White House meeting and the investigations into Burisma and the 2016 election that Giuliani was publicly promoting. Is that right? Correct. Sondland did make a distinction in his testimony. He claimed that he knew directly, based on his talks with Rudy Giuliani, who the president told him to talk to, that an invite to the White House for Ukrainian President Zelensky was dependent on a public statement by Zelensky of an investigation into the Bidens. That was the quid pro quo. No meeting at the White House until you announce an investigation into the Bidens. Sondland hedges a bit on the issue of defense assistance to Ukraine, the military aid to Ukraine, saying he just presumed that was also dependent on the investigations, despite not receiving a direct word from Giuliani or the president on this. This might be a distinction that doesn't matter all that much. It was a distinction that Republicans uh, seized on uh, as exoneration of the president, even though it didn't really point to that. Also, it's been characterized that this entire effort was a form of shadow diplomacy led by Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Earlier reporting described it this way. Sondland argues, though, that that wasn't the case, that actually everyone was in the loop. I mean, everyone. And most of them really didn't like having work with Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volcker and I worked with Mr. Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine matters at the express direction of the President of the United States. We did not want to work with Mr. Giuliani. Relatable. Simply put, we were playing the hand we were dealt. I first communicated with Mr. Giuliani in early August, several months later. Mr. Giuliani emphasized that the President wanted a public statement from President Zelensky committing Ukraine to look into the corruption issues. Mr. Giuliani specifically mentioned the 2016 election, including the DNC server, and Burisma as two topics of importance to the president. We kept the leadership of the State Department and the NSC informed of our activities. And that included communications with Secretary of State Pompeo, his counselor, Ulrich Brechtbull, his executive secretary, Lisa Kenna, and also communications with Ambassador Bolton, Dr. Hill, Mr. Morrison, and their staff at the NSC. They knew what we were doing and why. It's uh, it's a lot of people involved there. So it doesn't sound like Giuliani was the, uh, was conducting a secret diplomacy, but it does it does sound like that uh, he basically had a state Dep- a major State Department job <laughs> without without any kind of confirmation, oversight, uh, et cetera, what have you. Seems that way. And everyone involved here, to be fair to uh, Mike Pompeo, he may not have actually been in the loop. That depends on whether or not his secretary printed out his emails and handed it to him. August 11th, and this is critical, I sent an email to Counselor Breckbull and Lisa Kenna. Lisa Kenna was frequently used as the pathway to Secretary Pompeo as sometimes he preferred to receive his emails through her. She would print them out and put them in front of him. (laughs) 
Mike Pompeo doesn't know how to use email. Or or an alternate eh, excuse me, an alternative theory, which is that uh Pompeo likes to read his emails on the John. <laughs> still do that on you can phone. still do that on your phone I, I, how else does everybody else read their emails <laughs> i guess the last time i worked in an office i did not have an iphone so i definitely did print out news stories and took them to the can so mike pompeo doesn't know how to use email but that does not exonerate him he is very much implicated having been involved in conversations about the scheme offline as well according to sondland Vice President Mike Pence, also implicated by Sondland's testimony as being apprised of the scheme, so too was White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. Sondland also went out of his way to draw the White House into obstruction, claiming that he's been hindered in providing testimony because the administration won't let him have access to his records. I agreed to testify because I respect the gravity of the moment and I believe I have an obligation to account fully for my role in these events. But I also must acknowledge that this process has been challenging and in many respects, less than fair. I have not had access to all of my phone records, State Department emails, and many, many other State Department documents. And I was told I could not work with my EU staff to pull together the relevant files and information. Having access to the State Department materials would have been very helpful to me in trying to reconstruct with whom I spoke and met and when and what was said. Now, part of this is Sondland covering his ass for having to, resi- for having to revise his original testimony. So now he can just claim that the reason why he didn't remember all this implicating evidence was he didn't have access to his records. Still kind of suspicious that the administration won't let Sondland have access to his own records to respond to the impeachment investigation. So, look, not an ideal day for defenders of the president. Still, no matter how damning it gets, no indication that the Senate will ever convict Trump and remove him from office, even as it looks more and more likely that he will actually be impeached in the House. But one primary Republican strategy during these hearings is not to defend the president, but instead to refocus attention on the Bidens, essentially carry out the president's initial plan, which is to throw a lot of dirt at someone who might be uh, his political opponent in 2020, even though that looks like it probably won't happen anymore. Um But as someone who also enjoys seeing the Bidens get dragged, I wholly support this move. It's an added bonus to the impeachment hearings. Yeah, it's great that it's happening now with enough time for it to damage Biden in the Democratic primary. So thanks, Republicans. Yeah. Sondland is still testifying right now as we record. There's another round of impeachment hearings that are supposed to take place after Sondland finishes. Uh, An afternoon round featuring testimony from Laura Cooper, Deputy Assistant Defense Secretary, and David Hale, a State Department Undersecretary for Political Affairs. Maybe we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Maybe not. I don't know. We were talking earlier about this when Sondland mentions that Giuliani wanted to get investigations announced into the DNC server. (laughs) This related to the conspiracy theory that Ukraine has the 
lost hacked DNC server, which is not a real thing, but in their minds, it is a real thing and it exists in Ukraine. Um, they, they bundled the server off to Ukraine yeah. as some sort of, uh, as some sort of stitch up. I have to just wonder how much like Trump and Giuliani actually believe this or are running the grift. Yeah. And it's really hard to tell where the grift ends and Trump's uh, totally rotten brain starts. Yeah. I find it completely believable that Trump thinks the DNC servers in Ukraine. Totally believable. Well, at the same time, I understand that there's a strategic benefit, political benefit in just trying to get that information out there to cloud the the political battlefield or whatever. But I think Trump believes it. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, Deputy Defense Secretary David Norquist testified today before a Senate committee about the agency's second ever audit. We talked about it Monday, noting the Pentagon did not pass the test. The audit revealed 1,300 new accounting issues on top of 1,800 outstanding issues from the last audit. Alaska Republican Dan Sullivan doesn't seem to give a shit. Here's how he used part of his time questioning headlines saying DOD failed its audit. Here's how that went. Some of the media, which I'm glad they covered it, but um, not surprisingly, the headlines were a little Mm -hmm. alarming. Uh, There's a Reuters piece couple days ago, Pentagon gets failing grade in its second audit. That's accurate. Was it On a- the overall audit? Yes. Yeah, we didn't pass. <laughs> Somehow not as punchy as Trump crying fake news. I love his attitude. Sullivan also... Fuck no, we didn't pass. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Sullivan also whined about a Bloomberg headline about nuclear missiles, which said, quote, Air Force's inventory listed wrong sites for 79 nuclear missiles. Norquist explained that the real story was about missing motors for ICBMs, which is still pretty bad. Not sure why. Who's going around stealing ICBM motors? Anyway, uh, the audit did show DOD spending $95 billion on new technologies such as the F-35, the plane that needs weather conditions to be just ideal for it to actually work. And if it goes too fast, it's it's stealth coating just peels off or whatever. I'm still thinking about the guy who's got a bunch of ICBM motors just in his around. fucking garage. The audit said of the uh, 95 billion on new technology that also included quote artificial intelligence, hypersonics, directed energy, <laughs> directed energy, and autonomous unmanned systems. Uh, Please note that the money spent on all this new fandangled fucking technology development is about $15 billion more than it would cost to pay for everyone's tuition in the United States. Dan Sullivan did not note this, and neither did any of his colleagues on the Senate Armed Services Committee. We'll at least be prepared when the aliens invade and we have all these directed energy weapons to combat them with. Going to shoot the uh, directed energy weapons at the rising sea levels, <laughs> blasting hypersonics uh, at the polar ice caps to try to get them to stay frozen. Of note, this election cycle, Sullivan has already raised more than $60,000 from individuals and entities tied to the defense industry for his campaign finances. But per Open Secrets, he's just a minnow in this game of pumping weapons makers for cash. 
The top recipient is James Inhofe, chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Oklahoma Republican, the repugnant dipshit who brought a snowball to the Senate floor to try to de- to try to debunk climate change. Inhofe has already raised more than $188,000 this election cycle from political action committees and individuals tied to the defense industry. Another thing to keep an eye on, Bernie Sanders is number two on this list. He's received more than $168,000 in defense-related donations this cycle. Perhaps an indication Bernie is only so impervious to corporate malefactors, or maybe just an indication we actually will have a critical mass of weapons guys on our team when they try to overthrow President Sanders. Impossible to tell at this point. Hopefully it's the latter. We should note on the serious side, though, that Bernie has, rather shamefully, supported F-35 production in his home state of Vermont. For the record, Elizabeth Warren is number seven on the list of top Senate recipients of defense campaign money. She has raised $77,000 a cycle from defense people. Perhaps that will go up after she declined this week to describe the overthrow of Evo Morales as a coup. I would bet that number will go up after that. Members of Congress are now trying to intervene in a labor dispute at the Environmental Protection Agency. Earlier this year, the agency imposed a new labor contract on its workers, one that hadn't been negotiated by the union. It was a contract that prohibited employees working for the union from using any office space at the EPA. It also blocked union leaders from using the internal internet, the intranet, uh, or the external bulletin board to communicate with workers at EPA. It also drastically reduced the amount of time that union leaders could work with rank-and-file members on labor disputes. It was a shitty contract, one that was strongly is strongly opposed by the union representing most workers at the EPA, the AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. Now, a federal agency that handles labor disputes between government agencies and their workers, the Federal Labor Relations Authority, sided with the EPA workers and the union in this dispute, calling imposition of the new contract likely illegal, ordered the agency to begin bargaining on a new contract. But the EPA said the body doesn't have that authority, so no bargaining yet. On Tuesday, 228 lawmakers wrote a letter to the EPA administrator, Andrew Wheeler. He's also a former coal lobbyist calling on Wheeler to return to the bargaining table with EPA employees, calling out unfair labor practices. The AFGE has filed a labor complaint before the NLRB. Workers haven't had a new contract since 2010. Finally, rounding things off on some economic news. First, more from the National Labor Relations Board. Agency leaders criticized their inspector general for saying a Republican member should have recused himself from a major case in 2017. William Emanuel was a union-busting lawyer before joining the board. Through his ex-firm, Littler Mendelssohn, Emanuel had represented clients fighting the so-called joint employer rule, which was adjudicated under President Obama. As a board member, Emanuel partook in the 2017 high brand case reversing the rule, which had forbid companies from using franchise structures to get out of their collective bargaining obligations. Unsurprisingly, the board said in a report yesterday this was actually okay and that the inspector general was wrong for saying otherwise. Also, the agency said the recommendation for recusal wasn't binding anyway and that the board shouldn't have reversed its decision in high brand. 
Democratic board member Lauren McFerrin noted that the report was written at the direction of the board's Republican chair, John Ring, who also, like Emanuel, used to work for a union-busting firm before joining the board under Trump. McFerrin said she disagreed with several of the report's findings, noting, quote, the board and its members should adopt no policy or practice that undermines the independence or integrity of the inspector general. Other economic news now. Major banking regulators are following the Justice Department Antitrust Division in approving of the merger between BB&T and SunTrust. It's the largest proposed bank merger since the 2008 financial crisis. The green light was given yesterday by the Federal Reserve and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. The decision was questioned from within by Martin Grunberg, the lone Democrat on the FDIC Board of Governors. Grunberg noted the merged bank will have $450 billion in assets and that only the largest banks in the world would be able to take it over if it failed. And that demand may be limited. In fact, it will probably be limited because the only reason they would need to take over the bank is because there's probably a wider financial crisis going on, meaning they don't have the money or the confidence to take it over. Quote, failure could well pose a risk to the stability of the United States banking or financial systems. End of quote. Despite all this, Grunberg was a good liberal. He said it would be erroneous to not recognize stability risks, but he was just going to approve of the merger anyway. Quote, Based on the statutory factors, I will not vote against this application. Ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats. <laughs> and the newscast ends right there. Just a reminder, again, subscribe at patreon.com slash district sentinel. Get your garbage can nominations in for this week. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. That's the show. We're back tomorrow in D.C. so you don't have to be.